Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. We're going to be talking about angels today. If you have questions or comments, this would be a really good day for you to send us some of your questions and comments. The Bible says a lot about angels, but we don't have a structured uh, plan for how we're going to go through it. We have some talking points, but we're really going to be pretty loose in our organization of the discussion today. So we'd be very happy to uh, have you send us your comments or questions if you'd like for us to talk about a particular aspect of the subject. Joe, how are you today? I am great. Very blessed and uh, thankful to the Lord for that. Joe Works is in Elmira, New York, and in the place of Chase Byers is Drew DeGrotto, who is kind of the brain, brain, the brain what? Brain, the brains behind uh, this format. And he's usually in the background, but he's with us today. Chase is unavailable today. How are you today, Drew? I'm doing fine, but uh, you're using the term brains loosely, I know. <laughs> okay. It's, it's relative. And so, relative. relative. All right. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about angels. And right off the bat, um, let's, let's see if we have any input from any viewers on our Facebook page. Uh, I don't see any coming in right off the bat in our Q&A here in the Zoom app, but if we have some questions, uh, it'll help shape the direction we want to go. Drew, do you see the Facebook page there? Not yet. I'm just getting over there now. Sorry. All right. That's all right. Uh, that's actually Chase's job, so we'll call Chase up and have him check it for us. Um, <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about angels. Let's just start off with simple, you know, what's the meaning of the word in the New Testament that's translated angel? The, what was the English? No, the, the, the word that is translated angel in the New Testament. Uh, what is the meaning of the word? Uh, so basically the meaning is uh, that of a messenger, right? It's right. It is. It's a word messenger. In fact, it's used in various contexts where it is uh, translated messenger. And you know what? I thought that I would just pull uh, pull that up real quickly off the top of my head. I can't even think uh, where some of those contexts are. But let me see if I can just scroll through here real quickly and uh, validate that that claim. Um, oh, it's all vision. Um, I interrupt you while you're doing that. We are on Facebook, uh, but you want to change it to speaker view. I want to change the speaker view. Yeah, great. All right. Thank you. Okay. Uh, you know what? I can't off the top of my head. Remember, uh, I think if we just Googled messenger in the New Testament, we come up, come up with it, but I'm going to real quick pull out BDAG and um, I, where's the, where's the passage in the New Testament where we have the word messenger? You guys can come up with that, right? Hmm. Uh, now, now that you've asked, uh. okay, how about, uh, Luke chapter nine, verse 52, um, how about Luke chapter seven, verse 24 and James chapter two, verse 25, check those real quickly and see what you see. Yeah. Uh, Luke nine, 51 and 52, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. Yeah. Uh huh. And then how about in uh, James chapter two and verse 25? Um, likewise, 
Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? So in those passages, the word translated messenger <clears throat> is angelus, which is the word angel. In Greek, it would be spelled using English letters, A-G-G-E-L-O-S. Um, and so you, you can see the close similarity to our word angel, A-N-G-E-L. But it can mean a messenger who's just a, a human, uh, or it can be a transcendent being, a spiritual being, a messenger of God. Um, you know what? Uh, look at Second Corinthians chapter 12. And when Paul is talking about his thorn in the flesh. Yeah. Verse 7. Yeah, let's just check that real quickly. Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. An angelus of Satan a messenger of Satan. It's the, it's the same word, translated angel. So I think that's helpful. Um, I don't know that it's all important for us to understand angels. We have a lot of questions about angels besides just what the word means in various contexts. When we think about spiritual beings, angels sent by God, heavenly beings, um, there are a lot of questions that, that come up. What are some of those? Do they all have wings? Yeah, okay, do they, do they all have wings? You know, what angels look like in, in their own right, who knows? But when they have sometimes appeared to men, have they always had wings? Rarely, I don't think they ever did, do they? Um, there's certainly seraphim and cherubim that are described as having wings in the Bible. Are those in the category of angels? I'm not sure, but we do see angels appearing to men in human form. Uh, one of the passages that comes to my mind immediately is Genesis, the 18th chapter. And let's turn over there. Genesis, the 18th chapter, it starts out saying the Lord appeared to Abraham. Uh, but as, as we walk through this context, what happens is there's three men and they talk with Abraham and they talk about the child that's going to be born to Abraham in the following year. And then they get up to leave to go to Sodom. And it says they go on, but the Lord continues talking with Abraham. And then we get to chapter 19 and two angels arrive in Sodom. I don't know how you guys have taken that. Uh, I've taken it to be that, that there were three angels who appeared in human form. Uh, what it says in Luke 18, or Genesis 18 and verse two, when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, behold, three men were standing opposite him, that two of them go on to Sodom and the Lord continues speaking through one of them to Abram. Thoughts? Uh, I, I take a slightly different view that the, that the one that stayed, I think, is the, is the Lord, uh, just in human form. Uh, but I think your, your point is still the same for this topic, that the two that went on were angels, but they, when they arrive in Sodom, they're in the appearance of, of men, and in fact, are even called men yeah. uh, in various passages there, Luke 19 and verse 12, for example. Then the men said to Lot. Yeah. So, so apparently they didn't have wings on that occasion. I have a question for you then, Jeff. Okay. You asked about questions on angels. Um, I forgot where it is, but it talks about aren't his ministering spirits fire and wind and things like that. Would those be considered angels, objects of uh, of like fire itself. And, and so I, th I think you're referring to Hebrews, the first chapter in verse 14. And it's in a context there where, and, and, and you may be putting two passages together, but 
I think you're, well, I think you're putting Hebrews 1, 7 and Hebrews 1, 14 together. Now, maybe you're just talking Hebrews 1, 7, come to think of it. It's in this context where there's a contrast between the sun and angels, and the sun is greater than the angels, and the point of saying that is the word that comes through the sun is greater than the word that came through angels. And just to establish the context, what word is he talking about that came through angels? The Old Testament law? Yeah, the Old Testament law. You can go to Acts chapter 7 and verse 34, 35, and chapter 7, verse 38 or 39, and about verse 53, and you can see angels spoke with Moses. The law was ordained of angels. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19 or 20, it talks about uh, the law being ordained of angels. So he wants to show that the new, the word spoken by Jesus is greater. Well, he says, Jesus, the son is greater than the angels. And in showing that in verse seven, six and seven, let's read that together. You have it open? Yeah. Okay. Read uh, Hebrews chapter one, verses six and seven. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Okay, now come down to verse 14. And I'm sorry, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So in this context, ministers or servants, I think that the point is angels are um, doing service for God on behalf of, of God's people. I think the reference to flames here and winds, you know, I need to go back to the Old Testament context, Psalm 104, from which that's quoted. I think it's quoted in Hebrews. I don't think it's saying fire is a messenger from God. I think it's saying God uses them effectively like winds and fire. But let's look at Psalm 104. Any, either of you immediately familiar with the quote, the original context of this quotation? Yeah, I, yeah to me, Psalm 104 doesn't really help much. It's a very accurate quote in uh, Hebrews 1. Uh, I've taken it in the sense that sometimes God would send forth angels for judgment. Uh, and so these servants act as a flame of fire on God's part, but uh, there may be more to it than that. You know, as you look at Psalm 104, I'll just read it, verses 1 through 4. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with splendor and majesty, covering thyself with light, as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. Wind. He makes the winds his messengers, flaming fire his ministers. In the context there, it does sound like the, just like the clouds are the clouds and he uses them as chariots, then the wind would be wind and the fire would be fire, but he would use them to do his bidding as well. And so it's almost as if that in Hebrews chapter one, um, it's, it's used a little differently because clearly in Hebrews chapter one, we're talking about angels through whom the law came that are as a flame of fire and so on, right? So maybe the translation differences in Psalm 104 uh, would, would probably uh, uh, help us in uh, making a conclusion one way or another. Um, in the New King James, it just says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Uh, so okay. it's, they're, they're, they're very much the same in the Psalm 104 and, and Hebrews 1. That's interesting. Um, so. All right. Well, I suspect that would be an interesting study to go down that track and figure out Psalm 104. But I think we want to focus more especially upon 
the, the beings we think of as angels and talk about several questions that would come up uh, from time to time. Any, any on our Facebook page yet, Drew, that we need to turn and look at? Uh, I don't see any now. All right, so let's talk about this. Uh, wait, wait, I'm sorry, there is one. I didn't go down far enough. It's a couple. Um, do angels have free will? If not, can you explain fallen angels or Satan and his angels? Good well, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good question. Uh, Jude uh, talks about angels that left their uh, proper habitation. Let's turn over there. Jude chapter, uh, Jude, there's only one chapter in Jude, but Jude verse 6. Angels that kept not their own principality, but left their proper habitation, he has kept in everlasting bonds under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. It certainly seems to indicate they have the ability to choose to obey or, or disobey, to rebel or not. Would you say so? Pretty, yeah. Pretty similar passage in Second Peter 2, 4. Uh, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned. So I think it's pretty clear that they do have free will. Um, and, and some of them have obviously chosen the wrong, uh, wrong path. Yeah, and uh, the same... Uh, Charles asked just before that, he had a question mark, Satan, question mark. In other words, is Satan an angel? And uh, if so, uh, he did choose to, to go against God. So there's another example of free will. But is Satan an angel, Jeff? That's the question. Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, in Matthew chapter uh, 25, in the picture of the, the day of judgment, um, those on the left are told in verse 41 of Matthew 25, Depart from me, ye cursed, into the eternal fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. Uh, again, in Revelation, the 12th chapter, you have this spiritual war described between Michael, the archangel, and uh, his angels. And let me get over there, Revelation, the 12th chapter. And if one of you beats me to it, here it is, verse 7. There was war in heaven. Uh, Michael and his angels going forth to war with the dragon and the dragon ward and his angels. So the devil, the dragon, Satan, has angels. Um, is he an angel? Was he an angel? Popularly, he's thought of as a fallen angel. Uh, the, Bi the Bible speaks of, in Luke the 10th chapter, and verse 16, I believe it is, uh, Jesus, when the disciples come back, having been casting out demons, in Jesus' name, uh, Jesus connects that with what Jesus is about to accomplish, which is to bring Satan down. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 10 and verse six, uh, 17, uh, even the, uh, I'm sorry, verse 18, he says, I beheld Satan fallen as lightning from heaven. You know, I thought it was going to say uh, fallen as, a, as an angel, uh, lightning. I knew it said lightning. So never mind Luke chapter 10 verse 18. <laughs> So I, I do think that Revelation 12 uh, helps us draw a conclusion. It may not be the only possible conclusion. It's not a necessary uh, conclusion. But the fact that you have the dragon who's previously identified, or the very next verse is identified as Satan himself. You have the dragon and his angels and Michael and his angels. I see where you're going. As an archangel then um, uh, I think suggests, not conclusively, but suggests 
that Satan is perhaps a powerful angel like Michael. They are viewed as sort of opposing powers there, which I think really helps us to understand a better concept. I don't want to get too far off on this, a better concept of Satan. I think you're right. Satan being the evil form of Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh is supreme. Mm-hmm. God is supreme. It, it, the, it's not so much the devil and God fighting this out in, in the sense that they're, they're sort of equal, but good and bad, you know, the Star Wars kind of thing or whatever. Um, I, I really think that we need to understand Satan as not being all powerful but bad. I think that's an excellent point. And it led to say the same thing in different words, Satan is not God's counterpart. Good. Uh, God is God. And then there are these beings that are subordinate beings. One, there's a very powerful archangel named Michael who serves God. And there's this powerful being Satan who seems to be a counterpart to Michael, you could say. And he rebelled. He, he is not serving God. Uh, the passage that calls Michael the archangel, of course, is Jude verse 9. Um, so that's that's a great point, Joe. Very good. Jeff, there's still another one question. Um, this goes back to when you're talking about the term messengers. Caroline uh, asked, aren't prophets messengers, though? And so I guess the question is, I think you already brought it up, but you just want to repeat that, that messengers doesn't necessarily, uh, is not necessarily 100% meaning spiritual beings, right? Yeah, you can, somebody can be a messenger <clears throat> and, and not be a supernatural being. Somebody can be just a human and he's a messenger. Um, and prophets are spokesmen for God. Uh, mouthpieces for God. So in a sense, you could certainly say they are messengers. Um, what, what we were saying is the term angel can be, which is a word that means messenger, um, just, just for what it's worth. Angelus, uh, sometimes you can have a form of that word that, that essentially means announce. Um, or how about the gospel? The gospel, we, we all know the word gospel means what? Good news. Good news. It's a compound of, it's, the word is euangelion. The eu means good. Angelion is related to angelus. You have angelion is A-G-G-E-L-I-O-N. Angel in Greek, angelus is A-G-G-E-L-O-S. And so you have that A-G-G-E-L in both cases. That's the basic, I guess you could say the root. Um, and, and the good news or the good message and uh, so maybe that helps a little bit uh, in understanding just the, the, the vocabulary. All right. Um, well, the other topics that come up, uh, one is, um, do angels, are, are angels active today? And um, this passage we were in a minute ago, I think is a very comforting passage. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. And it says, are they not all talking about angels, ministering spirits? Ministering means serving, sent forth to do service for the sake of them that shall inherit salvation. If that passage is not saying that God uses his angels to benefit his people, I don't know what it's saying. I, I think that's very accurate. And maybe to tie a couple of previous points together, the end of that same book, Hebrews 13. And in verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. I think that that is probably having a reference to Genesis 18 and 19, where 
Abraham was unknowingly entertaining angels in that text, uh, showing hospitality to them. And the Hebrew writer says that that's possible for uh, at least the, his audience the, in, in Hebrews. I see no reason to conclude that God has, has stopped doing that. I, uh, there, there's no reason at all for me to think that, that God has, uh, has ceased using angels on earth. So at that point, we get to a whole lot of questions that people would have to which the answer for me is going to be, I don't know. How does God do this? When does God do this? Uh, I, I don't know. What I believe is God does this. And, and isn't that such a challenging conclusion to reach that, wow, at that last uh, gas station, that person that I you know, ignored or, or maybe that person that I helped, that might have been an angel. Uh, you know, the fact that we don't know, I think, is makes that Hebrews 13, 2 even more powerful. They don't all have wings, as Drew had asked the question earlier. And so uh, we need to treat people uh, very carefully and, and, and with great love. Um, and, and maybe this is just a great thing to, uh, to use as an application concerning all of the uh, wickedness and, and hatred that we're seeing prominent in uh, our society right now, we, we need to treat, especially these strangers. So if an angel were to interact with, uh, yeah, Drew, go ahead. There's another comment before you get into that next section from Randy. It says in Revelation 14, 6, John says that he, another angel, uh, maybe there's some a typo there, says that he, another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. My question is, would the angel that John sees preaching the gospel, would that be one of the disciples? I don't think so, Joe. I know you do a, a lot of teaching of Revelation. You jump in here, but my thought is that we're in a context where, where uh, John is seeing visions, and in the visions that he's seeing, he's seeing a lot of angels and supernatural beings doing various things, uh, representing various things. Um, I would assume it's such a supernatural being that he's seeing. What, what are your thoughts? Right. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly right. That's the way it's pretty consistently used through the book of Revelation. Um, Which is interesting because we're going to get to a question in a minute here about the seven angels, the seven churches and the angel for each church. <clears throat> and you mentioned that generally speaking, uh, angels in the book of Revelation are supernatural beings. I think if I remember right, uh, they are always supernatural beings with, if we set aside the angels of the seven churches, and then that leads us to the question, well, what are those? Um, but we can talk about that in a minute. Um, Before you go again, another comment came in. This is good because you've asked for people to comment and question. Mm -hmm. uh, Randy's comment, by the way, came in from through the Zoom app, and Joe also coming in from the Zoom app says, was Assyria God's avenging angel? Oh, boy, I'm trying to remember. Um, is there a phrase in regard to Assyria about an avenging angel? I'm trying to, I, I, I mean, it's not clicking with me. You guys recognize that? Well, whether there is a passage or not, my answer to that question would be yes. <clears throat> God was using Assyria as a messenger uh, mm -hmm. to the nation of Israel, the northern ten tribes, 
Um, uh, so at least in that sense, I think that it would be appropriate to, to consider them as uh, messengers from him. Uh-huh. Oh, how about Isaiah? Um, let's see. Let's go to Isaiah, the 10th chapter. I'm not sure we're going to find the word angel here, but it does speak of Assyria in this role. Uh, Isaiah, the 10th chapter, we'll start in verse 5. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in whose hands is my indignation. I send it against a godless nation and commission it against the people of my fury to capture booty and to seize plunder and to trample them down like mud in the streets. And then, then the prophet goes on to say, it does not so intend, nor does it plan so in its heart. In other words, Assyria wasn't sitting around thinking, oh, what does the Lord want me to do? Whatever the Lord wants me to do, that's what I want to do. Assyria wanted to capture and plunder, but God was going to use Assyria as a rod or as a staff with which to afflict a godless people, namely Israel. Is there an implication of an avenging angel working on God's behalf from Revelation 19.1, uh, actually 1 and 2. Uh, verse 19, I'll read it and then you can uh, interpret it for us, Joe. After this I had heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to God. And then verse 2, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Did, is there mention earlier about the angels doing that? Isn't there angels going out carrying out his judgment? So angels were carrying out that judgment throughout the, uh, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. Um, uh, I would see that passage more as a response to that fifth seal that was opened in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, where the, the saints have been crying out for God's righteous judgment upon the, the oppressors, and to hear that saying that that's fulfilled. But it was fulfilled through the hands of, of angels, um, and particularly in the bowls that were being poured out. All right, well, let's, let's turn our attention to some of these other questions that can arise about angels today. Here's one that I wanted us to get to. There are people who, as soon as you start talking about angels, they're going to become more interested in angelology, if I can make up that word. There's probably a word like that, but that's probably not it. But they're going to be more interested in that than they are in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to be more interested in that than they are in what they need to be doing to serve God, what they need to be doing to be faithful to the Lord. They want to talk, they just want to get all into angels. If an angel were to interact with a human being, would that be a stamp? Would that be God's stamp of approval upon that human being? Would that necessarily mean that human being um, is in God's good graces and God's favor or is approved of by God? You mean kind of like Balaam? Kind of like Balaam. Kind of like Balaam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and why do we bring Balaam up here? Uh, well, he was certainly not interested in doing God's bidding when uh, he went with Balak, king of Moab, uh, to curse the Israelites. Uh, the text is a little complicated. God told him not to go, told him he could go, and then proceeded to, to almost kill him as he's going. Um, it seems to me that uh, God has allowed him to, uh, to believe the lie, if you will, or to, to do his will. Uh, but God gives him great warnings there. On the way, the story of the, the talking donkey, uh, 
Wow. And uh, the angel of the Lord is in his path, ready to slay him. Yeah. And so here's a man who interacted with an angel, and yet in the New Testament, several times, Balaam is held up as an example of false teachers who are just in it for the money. Uh, in Second Peter, uh, I believe also in Jude, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 2, uh, the teaching of Balaam is a phrase that is used to talk about such people. Uh, so, so we shouldn't get the idea, oh, I, I think I saw an angel that, well, therefore, I'm, I'm approved of by God. Um, that, that would be a wrong conclusion. All right. Uh, any questions outstanding there, Drew, that we need to Yeah. Uh, Charles brought up a question is, were giants in Genesis referring to perhaps angels? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, so that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's talk about this one. Okay. Uh, and, it, you know, we may have different views on this. <clears throat> there, there are uh, people who've had different views on this all through the years. It is popular, and maybe one of you guys holds this view, it is popular to suppose that in uh, chapter 6, where it refers to the sons of God and the daughters of men, that the sons of God are angels, and you could appeal to the book of Job, where Satan was among the sons of God, and it appears there it's, it's referring to angels in, in the heavenly realms. And so then connecting that with what's said in verse 4, the Nephilim, the great men, the giants, were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. So the idea is that well, what's being said here is angels, sons of God, came down and sexually cohabited with human women, and the offspring of these then were giants. I don't think that's what is going on here, but before I talk about that, uh, let's just take a poll of the panelists here. Yay or nay? Do you think that's what's going on here? No, I, I don't think that those angels are interacting with humans. Well, not just passage. Okay, what do you think, Joe? Uh, I'll take a stand for the truth and say that they are. Okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> all right, well, I'll, I'll, make, I'll make my case, and then you, you make your case here. Sure, sure. Um, in the, the flood story is set up by Genesis chapters four and five. Um, and the way it's set up is you've had the sin of Adam and Eve, and then you have the story of Cain and Abel, and uh, Cain kills Abel. And then we have a description of Cain's descendants. And as you look at Cain's descendants, you're impressed with arrogance, you're impressed with worldliness, materialism, for example, there's a, a lot of discussion about a man named Lamech, who is a descendant of Cain. Why we need to know this, I don't know, unless it's to give us a picture of Cain's descendants. Uh, but Lamech is the fellow who very arrogantly says to his wives, I've killed a man for, by the way, he's the first man known to have multiple wives. And he says to his wives, I've killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77-fold. In other words, He's kind of Donald Trump-esque in the sense that if anybody does anything to me, I'm going to do back to him worse, uh, you know, even more. And, and that's, uh, that's Cain's attitude. Uh, I mean, uh, Lamech's attitude. Also, uh, he, Cain has some descendants who accomplish things. 
the father of those who dwell in livestock, the father uh, who, the, who dwell in tents and have livestock, so domestication of cattle, the father of those who play the lyre and the pipes, so the invention of musical instruments. But there's nothing said about his descendants that puts a positive spin on them in terms of their faithfulness to God. It's all of this world. And then we get to another son that's born to, to Adam and Eve, and this is the one who takes the place of Abel. And his name is Seth. He's, he's the offspring in place of Abel, it says in verse 25. And then it starts giving his descendants. And it says in verse 26 of chapter 4, Seth to whom to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So you've got this picture of Cain's descendants, and there's arrogance and materialism and worldliness. And now you've got Seth's descendants, and it starts off with calling on the name of the Lord. And as you go through Seth's descendants in chapter 5, there's mention of Enoch, who walked with God, so much so that he was translated that he should not see death. Not that every one of Seth's descendants were perfect, but there's a, there's a picture of godliness, of respect for God, God-fearing people uh, among Seth's descendants. And ultimately, you come to Noah. And of course, Noah is going to be described as a righteous man. He's a descendant of Seth. So you're given a picture of two families, one from Cain, worldly, arrogant, one from uh, Seth, men calling on the name of the Lord, leads to, to Noah, who's blameless and righteous before the Lord. And that sets us up for the flood story. And then it says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse uh, 1 or verse 2, sons of God saw the daughters of men, they were beautiful, took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. I would take the sons of God to be the children from the line of Seth and the daughters of men to be women from the line of Cain. And as a result of their intermarriage, whereas you had one worldly family and one godly family, as the result of their intermarriage, you get to this, this point where in verse 5 it says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Um, so that's, that's my thought about this, that the daughters uh, or the sons of God here are the, from the godly line of Seth. Joe, tell me why that's not right. So I don't think we will get a absolute answer to this. I really enjoy thinking these kinds of things through, but I will readily admit that there are, I think, two good possibilities, and, and Jeff has just explained one of them, um, and, and I don't have any major problem. I think all that he set up there is exactly right. Um, one question I have from the text is, why would godly men with ungodly women produce uh, offspring who are men of renown or mighty men? Uh, there seems to be something about that production uh, of, of children that, that really stands out. Normally, if a godly man and an ungodly woman marry, their children are just children. There, there's nothing special about them. Um, I don't think that's that powerful, but there's a couple of passages in the New Testament that we already dealt with. In Jude, for example, uh, we mentioned the angels who did not keep their proper domain. Well, their proper domain would be the spiritual realm. If they don't keep that, then uh, I think that would be the, the physical realm, uh, then that the, they, uh, the, they did not leave the... Uh, they, they left their own habitation, the New King James says. But also in Jude, verses 5, 6, and 7, you have three different uh, people that are described. The people that left the land of Egypt, 
verse 5, the angels in verse 6, and Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 7. And after describing those three groups that, we, that God is not pleased with, verse 8, he says, likewise also these dreamers, the dreamers in Jude's day, likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh. And so the fact that likewise they defile the flesh, is that just referring to Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, it would certainly apply in verse 5. That's what the Egyptians did. They, you know, jumped into immorality. Think about 1 Corinthians 10. That was one of their reasons why they fell in the wilderness. Uh, with most of them, God was not well pleased. The idolatry and immorality, they defiled the flesh. So I think contextually, there is a, an, at least a, a leaning that 5, 6, and 7 is describing the people of Egypt, the angels, and Sodom and Gomorrah, who defiled the flesh. And they did that by the angels by leaving their habitation. I think that also then uh, in 2 Peter 2, um, God, for God did not spare the angels who sinned. Uh, that's in the same context, the verse 2 Peter 2, 4, the very next verse is describing the flood. Um, and so I think even that uh, timing of that would be. Maybe also consider um, when Jesus is answering the question of uh, in the resurrection, uh, whose wife will she be? Remember that yep. scenario that they yep. did? Jesus answers and says that no, because in heaven they will be like the angels, neither marrying nor giving in marriage. In heaven, angels don't marry or give in marriage, but when they leave their proper habitation, they do that. I don't think that's a powerful verse. But it, it helps me to understand why Jesus says, in heaven, there. Um, well, so there you go. Charles, who asked that question, you got two different <laughs> views there. And you can tell Tim, Joe, you can tell Tim, yes. <laughs> so we were having a discussion just before the webcast began, began today. And somebody was asking Joe, do we ever disagree? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the great things about this question is at the end of the day, either position we take does not change uh, the gospel message. It, it's, it simply shows our limitations in being able to understand everything and our need to just continue studying. And it also puts in perspective discussions about angels generally. Angels, we should be interested in what the Bible says about angels. And the more accurately we understand what the Bible says about angels, the more accurately we're going to understand the Bible. Um, and there are going to be some nuances that we're going to get that we might otherwise miss. But the fact is, if I get preoccupied with angels, I miss the point of what I need to do in order to put my trust in the death of Jesus Christ and how I need to be living my life. And so it's a worthwhile study, but it should not become a substitute for being servants of God ourselves. Before we get to that next comment, though, based on what you just said, we should be interested in angels, obviously. And it is an interesting that angels are interested in us. Mm. They were seeking to know when it was prophesied about Christ. They were seeking these things to want to know what is this plan all about? Yeah. That's... So even though they're spiritual beings with God face to face, I'm under the impression they didn't know the full story that was going to play out. Yeah, that's uh, 1 Peter chapter um, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse uh, 12. Uh, let's read verses 10 through 12 here, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Concerning which salvation the prophets sought and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, 
searching what time or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did point unto when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow them. To whom, to those Old Testament prophets, it was, it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto you did they minister these things, which now have been announced unto you through them that preach the gospel unto you by the Holy Spirit sent forth from heaven, which things angels desire to look into. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm always impressed with that. Uh, there's another comment that comes in from Perry. Uh, what does because of the angels? I mean, think you actually in First Corinthians eleven ten. Yeah, I think didn't you just uh, allude to that in your discussion just a minute ago, Joe, and kind of tied that in with what you were saying? I, I did not specifically mention that one, but I think that that is a uh, also a, a a factor in. It, it, I shouldn't say I think it is a factor in in my take on John on Genesis six. Um, yeah. All right. Well, uh, we've just we've just got six minutes. Can, Go I, can I add something to the two of you discussing the two different points? Yeah. Uh, I I was on. Well, I I think there's a, there's sufficient evidence that sons of God can refer to human beings who are His children and to angels. Sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Satan, wasn't he walking among the sons of God? I don't know if that was a plan. Dope, him. dope one, yep. Okay. And, uh, but I was under the impression that sons of God, based on, I had the scripture right here, for the human side of it, if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the spirit you put to death, uh, is that what I want? Oh, oh yeah, uh, where am I? Romans 8, right. 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Right. Mm -hmm. Sure. That's not either going either way, and and I appreciate what Joe says, and I agree with that. We're not going to solve the really what is it really saying for sure. It could go either way, but I'm still uh, I'm favoring Jeff's position, Joe. <laughs> uh, so uh, it, maybe to I, I don't know if this is getting off or not, but just one other quick verse. I don't think we mentioned it uh, yet. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, and no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Good. Uh, he 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 pretends to be a messenger of light. Good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Well, I had thought we would talk a little bit about the angels uh, through whom the Lord addresses the seven churches of Asia in Revelation chapters one, two, and three. Well, he addresses them in chapters two and three, but they're first, the angels are first introduced in chapter one. Let's give it a shot. Let's give it a shot. See if I, I think it's helpful if you would uh, explain uh, your position on that. Uh, I, that. That is enlightening to me. All right. So if we look at Revelation chapter one um, and uh, verse 12, when verse, um, let's get verse 11, first of all. Uh, what thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. So mark it down. The messages, the messages that are delivered in chapters two and three are to the seven churches. And that's going to be helpful because we get to chapter two and chapter three, it's going to say to the angel of the church at Ephesus. But the message is to the church, but it's addressed to the angel of the church. So in some way, this angel represents the church. Um, and, and then we come down to Revelation chapter 1 and uh, verse 19. Write, therefore, the things which you saw and the things which are and the things which shall come to pass hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars, 
uh, which thou sawest in, in my right hand. The Lord had seven stars in his hand um, and, and the seven golden lampstands or candlesticks. And then he just says flat out, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So the Lord was standing in the midst of these seven lampstands and he has these seven stars in his hand and they are the angels of the churches. And then we get to the address to each of the churches. And the key here, I think, to nailing down that these are supernatural beings. They're not the bishops of the churches. They're not a courier by which John had the, the, the letter carried from Patmos to the various cities, that they are angelic beings associated, an angelic being associated with each church. I'm not gonna be able to do this. I'll, 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 we got a minute left. I'm going to sum it up. We can go through it maybe next week a little bit. Um, in each case, in most, in six, in, I, I can't do it. Let's do it next week, okay? <laughs> well, so that's a, it's a cliffhanger. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a worthwhile study uh, for that. And so it'll, it'll be something good to, uh, to follow up on. Yeah, all right. All right, well, thank you all for listening today. Thank you for being with us. And thank you for the input, all the questions today. Uh, and Lord willing, we'll see you next week.